have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to the book of Romans chapter 10. And in just a moment we're going to read verse 9 and 10. For those of you with us for the first time, for those of you who have been with us many times, we're in a sermon series. The name of the sermon series is an expose of the 21st century church. We're looking at how the church today is holding up against the onslaughts of Satan. And I hope this is a thinking man sermon series that you're learning. The things that I'm teaching you are not going on here. But don't you think they can't go on here? If the leadership and the people of this church find themselves napping and are not diligent and vigilant in all that we do doctrinally. Romans chapter 10. Before we read the scriptures, I want you to remember this truth. Before this sermon series is over, you will be sick of me saying this, I promise you. But that's okay. In your sickness, you will learn this. Satan, the devil, Lucifer, he is a liar and he is a murderer. He comes to deceive and he comes to destroy. His lies and his deception are against the Bible, the Word of God, and the great doctrines of our faith. In 2019, Satan has pulled out all the stops to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. He has never been more cunning. He's never been more clever. He's never been more intentional. He's never been more uh, intense in trying to put the true church out of business. He's using secularist on the outside and religionist on the inside to push his agenda of deception. So far we've seen he is pushing the agenda of a bloodless cross into many denominations, into many churches. A cross that is sanitized. It's been washed and cleansed from the blood of Jesus because we don't want a bloody religion anymore. It's been marginalized. It's been glamorized. The modern cross today, as pushed by Satan, has no power to save. No power to save. Last week we saw he also pushes an unreliable Bible. A Bible that is false news. A Bible that is fables and fantasies. A Bible that's filled with mistakes and errors. A Bible that cannot be true. It cannot be trusted. It's not real. It's not relevant. And many pastors and churches and denominations have bought into that. A bloodless cross. An unreliable Bible in today. A lordless salvation. 
a lordless salvation, if there is such a thing. Paul, writing in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, talks about salvation, talks about the one who gives us that salvation. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Did you see that? Pay attention to that. The Lord Jesus. And shall believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. But with the heart a man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't make him Lord. I don't make him Lord. He is Lord. 747 times in the New Testament, from Matthew to the book of Revelation, it is declared without stutter, stammer, hesitation, reservation, Jesus is Lord. That word Lord means owner. It means master. It means possessor. It means sovereign. It means king. It's also a reference to God Almighty himself. It's a title of supreme position and authority. Millions of Christians through the age of the church have suffered, bled, and died because Jesus is Lord. They would not renounce it. And so their heads were taken off their shoulders. They were fed to wild animals. They were impaled on poles covered in tar and used to light up the gardens of wicked men. Millions of our brothers and sisters in the faith have died because they refused to recant, to renounce, to deny that Jesus is Lord. And yet today's church, the modern church, has made a decision that salvation is plausible and possible without making Jesus Lord. The modern church has made a decision, because we're smart, we're sophisticated, we're educated, that it's possible to have a salvation without the Lord Jesus. We have many preachers today who say such things. They have no problem with Jesus being Savior, but they have a problem with Jesus being Lord. In order to attract people, they have taken Jesus and split him in two. You have a Jesus who's hanging on the cross. He's the Savior Jesus. He's over here. Then you have a Jesus who's sitting on the throne. He's the Lord Jesus. 
But the two never have to come together according to these experts. You can make Jesus your Savior, but you don't have to make him your Lord. In fact, lordship of Jesus is optional. You can make your own choice. All you have to do to be saved is accept Jesus the Savior, the one who hung on the cross. You do not have to accept Jesus the Lord who sits on the throne. You don't have to repent. You don't have to surrender. You don't have to be obedient. It's none of that's needed. All you have to do is believe and put your faith in Jesus, the Savior. If you don't want to make him Lord and you want to live a worldly life, a carnal life, a corrupt life, do whatever you want to do, that's okay. It's your choice because the two can be separated. Ladies and gentlemen, that splitting of Jesus is unbiblical. It's foreign to the scriptures. It comes from a wicked man's mind. It doesn't come from the inspiration of God himself. You say, Pastor, what's the big deal? Every theological heresy has a big deal to go with it. When you start splitting Jesus into Savior and Lord and saying you can have one but not the other, particularly in matters of salvation, what you're telling people is you can be forgiven of your sin, but you don't have to give control of your life to the one who forgave you. You're telling people that you can be saved. You can make Jesus your Savior, but if you want to live a rebellious, defiant, selfish life, that's okay because you don't have to make him Lord. When you split Jesus, you're making salvation appealing and carnality acceptable. You're telling people you can go to heaven and live like hell and still get there. Because I've only made him my Savior, I didn't make him my Lord. Are you listening to me? He is both. You can't take a sword or a knife and cut him in two as some are suggesting. Salvation by its very nature is yielding and surrendering all that we are to all that He is. When I got saved in 1979, when you got saved, if you got biblically saved, you brought all that you were to all that you knew about Him. I brought all of my sin, and he gave me all of his salvation. I may not have understood it all, but I accepted it all. I was a sinner. I was a rebel. I was a transgressor. I was a lawbreaker. 
And I brought all of who I was on bended knee to him. And he on his throne met me. And he took my sin and gave me his salvation. Not in part, but in whole. The one who saved me was my creator. He became my savior. He was my Lord and he was my God. You understand that? You can't come and say, I want to be saved, but I want to believe in evolution, so I'm going to reject you as creator. I, I don't want you to be my Lord. I don't want to flip, listen to what you tell me to do. I just want to go to heaven, so I reject you as Lord. And I reject you as God. I'm not going to worship you. I just want to be saved. And then go about my business to the day I die, and then I'll be in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, that is theological nonsense to believe that. Can you imagine on your wedding day standing before the minister who officiated you and the people that came to your wedding? Can you imagine saying, <clears throat> excuse me, sir. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm going to make her my wife today. But I don't believe I want her to be the mother of my children. I'll, I'll get somebody else for that. And, and sir, I, 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 I like her to be my lover. We're going to be lovers, but I, I don't want her to be my friend. I, I don't want her to be my partner. I, I'm just marrying part of her today. I may pick up the rest later. I'm not sure. Can you imagine saying that? I can imagine what would have happened to me if I'd have said that. You wouldn't have had a pastor. I can imagine what happened to you, gentlemen, if you would have said that. You wouldn't be here today either. At least not in one piece. You might be scattered about somewhere. You see, when you get married, you marry the whole person. You can't slice them up. Randy is my wife, all of her or none of her. Right? Your spouse is your spouse, all of her or him or none of them. Jesus is Lord. You take all of him or you take none of him. Marriage is not a cafeteria line where you go through and say, well, I'll take the wife and I'll take the lover, but I don't want the friend, I don't want the partner, I don't want the mother. That's not the way it works. And salvation's not a cafeteria line where you say, well, I'll take him here, but I don't want this, I don't want that, but I'll take this here. When you give your life to Jesus, you give it all to him. And he gives you all his salvation. When you give your life to Jesus, you give him all that you are, and he gives you all that he is. You understand that? And somehow, because we want big crowds and lofty statistics and worldly popularity and much wealth, we have decided that we will just lessen Jesus, split him in two, so those who want a Savior but don't want a Lord, we can attract them and keep them. And we have an excuse for their carnality and corrupt living. See? Got an excuse now. Oh, they just made Jesus Savior. They haven't made him Lord yet. 
we've lessened Jesus, we've cheapened salvation, we have created something that's not worth living for and not worth dying for. When you look at the issues that many churches are fussing and fighting over, I think it just bears out everything I've said. You know what the hot topic issues are in many churches right now? Witnessing? No. Evangelism and missions? No. Serving and giving and praying and studying the Bible? No. Nobody cares about that anymore. You know what the hot topic issues are? Social drinking. How much booze can I drink and still be called a Christian? Evening services. Do we have to have evening services? Do we have to have Wednesday night services? Why do we even have Sunday school? Why don't we just have one service a week? That's a big controversy in some places. Sexual practices is a big hot topic. What gender can you be and still be a Christian? How much sex can you have and still be a Christian? That shows you the, how low the church has went. When carnality and corruption have to be voted on, talked about, and debated, you're in bad shape. And yet that's what's taking place all around us. Winston Churchill came before the British people as Nazi Germany was preparing to invade the British Isles. And he said to the British people, I have nothing to offer you, absolutely nothing to offer you, but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. I wonder what the modern church would say today. They would probably say, I have nothing to offer you, but ease, convenience, comfortableness, and an affirmation of self. Very quickly, two things I want to lay on your heart about this matter of splitting Jesus in two and telling people you can accept one part but don't have to accept the other. That you can have a salvation from the Savior side, but it has nothing to do with the Lordship side. First of all, let's talk about why is Jesus Lord? Why is he Lord? Pastor, you said he's Lord. I didn't say he's Lord. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I figure if something is said once, we ought to listen. If it's said twice, our little spiritual antennas ought to be going, me, 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 me. If it says three times, this tie ought to be spinning in front of your eyes. This is an outer limits tie, by the way. Some of you have been asking. do, 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 I don't know why he went there. I just thought I'd throw it in. <laughs> Probably comes with being a senior citizen, don't it? Your mind just kind of drifts and, and then it drifts back. So sometimes it drifts back. <laughs> why is Jesus Lord? Why? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, 
which you have of God, and you are not your own. Think about that. You're not your own. Why aren't you your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which both belong to God. Why is Jesus Lord? 747 times in the New Testament, reference is made to the fact that he is Lord. Well, why is he Lord? Well, he's Lord according to Paul writing to the church at Corinth because he paid for us. Remember, the word Lord means possessor, ownership, owner of, possessor of, master of. Why is he possessor of, master of, owner of you and I? Because he paid for us. If you buy something, it's yours. He bought us with the currency of his own blood and the jewels of his own tears at Calvary. In his death, he purchased you and I. He purchased us from Satan, who was our master. He purchased us out of sin that was our ruler. In his death, he bought us. He paid the price that we could become his. We're no longer of ourselves, but we are of him. We're sealed by the Spirit of God, in fact, the Bible says. And that sealing is, is almost like a spiritual tattoo or ID mark that says we are property of God. Isn't that an amazing thing? If you could put on spiritual glasses and you could see, there was somewhere on our spiritual hide, <laughs> there would be property of Jesus Christ. Jim Palmer paid for it, Calvary, owned by Jesus. Wow. When I got saved and you got saved, if we got saved, a sign was put up outside our lives under new management. When I gave my life to Jesus, Jim Palmer went down, Jesus Christ went up. Same for you. He took over our lives, and we are to yield and submit and surrender to his will, his word, and his way. I find nowhere in the scriptures where it says that you can give your life to Jesus and do your own thing. There's no contract in the Bible that says that we can be a born-again Christian and stay in sin and reject the cross and embrace self, and love someone else more than we love him. The implication is, when you give your life to him, remember, you give him all. All that you are, all that you have, and all that you will do, it goes to him. And he gives us all of himself. The Bible says when we come to him, we forsake our sin. We take up the cross, we deny ourselves. We love the Lord thy God with only our mind, heart, soul, and strength. All of our mind, heart, soul, and strength. With the love so amazing, love so divine, that it demands my soul, my life, and my all. 
You see, he's, he's not Lord just because he says I'm Lord. He's Lord because he owns us, because he bought us. Does that make sense to you? That's why he's Lord. Now, second question. What does it mean to make Jesus Lord? What does it really mean to do that? Again, when you get saved, it's not necessary you understand that every I must be dotted and every L must be looped and every T must be crossed. But it is necessary that you come with the attitude of whoever he is, I take him all. And whoever I am, I give to him all. The Christian life is a journey and we will learn more as we grow. When I got saved and you got saved, we gave him all. And he gave us all. As we understood it at that time. Now, what does it mean to make Jesus Lord? Well, in Matthew 8, 34, I'll let Jesus answer the question for you if it's okay. He says, whosoever will come after me, whoever will come after me, whoever will choose to be with me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. Now, once again, there are those who would say, well, that's talking about Jesus as Lord, not talking about salvation. Once again, the dichotomy. So it's possible to get saved and not do any of that, never do any of that. I don't believe that's what it's saying at all. I think it's saying that when a person gets saved, their heart's desire is to do these things he just said. We may not do them perfectly, but our heart's desire is to come after him and deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow him. What is a person who I believe is generally saved? What attributes do they show? I think, first of all, they show submission. No man can serve two masters. Either you will love one and hate the other, or you will love the other and hate the one. You say, Pastor, that's pretty good. Did you come up with that? No. That's what Jesus said. No man can serve two masters. You can't serve the devil. You can't serve the world. You can't serve sin and claim at the same time that you serve him. You can't bend your knee to this world and bend your knee to him at the same time. Total submission happens when you give your life to Christ. Submission. You bend your knee, you bow your head to his lordship. He's in control. He becomes the manager of your life. He is lord of all. Not only is there submission involved in this lordship, this salvation, but there's ownership. I've already made reference to it. He owns us because he bought us. Right? He owns all of us. Suppose I put my house up for sale. 
You came by and said, Pastor, how much you want for the house? I told you how much I want for it. You say, fine, I'd like to buy it. I will sell you 95% of it. There's a little room in my house I like to keep to myself. You can't go in there, and I'll have the key to your front door, and I'll have the key to that room, but 95% of the house would be yours. Now, you'd jump all over that deal, wouldn't you? Well, you can't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're going to come inside of me and take over me, but I'm only going to give you 95%. 5%'s the Jim Palmer room. You can't go in there, Lord. That's my room. I own that place. You can have the rest. It doesn't work that way. Lordship means submission. Lordship means ownership. Lordship means obedience. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I tell you to do? We're to obey him without question. Not always unnecessary we understand, but it is necessary we obey. And as Keith so well said earlier, when you choose to submit to him, when you choose to allow him to own you in entirety, when you choose to obey him as best as you can, he will bless you. You see, some of you might be sitting here right now saying, well, where's my blessings? Well, can I ask you a question? Are you submitting to him? Do you bend the knee to him? Does he have full ownership of you? Or are, are you a 95 percenter? Are you in obedience to him in every area of your life as so revealed to you by the Spirit? Or do you just kind of pick and choose where you want to obey and not obey? You see, when you find yourself with him as Savior and Lord and you're under that umbrella and you're submitting and you're, you're, and you're giving him full ownership and you're obeying him, he will bless you. Let me, let me kind of explain it to you like this. Parents, suppose you got a child, and that child comes to you and says, Daddy and Mom, you're the smartest people I know. You're sharp. I've never met anybody as intelligent as you. And I really appreciate it when you give me advice and counsel. And to the best of my ability, I try to do exactly what you say. I know you love me. And I trust you. And from this day forward, I promise you, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust you. You can count on me. Now, if one of your children came and told you that after you picked yourself off the floor, <laughs> what would you do? You would bless their heart, wouldn't you? You would say, wow, if that's what you're going to do, I want to bless you. And that's what God does. When he sees his children in submission, recognizing his ownership in obedience, God says, listen, I'm proud of you and I'm going to help bless you. Wow. Wow. Catching it all as we close? You can't split Jesus in two. If he's Savior, he will be Lord. Amen?
you claim him as Savior but deny him as Lord, you're not saved. You might have a preacher's salvation. You might have a mom and daddy's salvation. You might have a church salvation or a denominational salvation, but you don't have a born-again biblical salvation. Because those that he saves, he gives all of himself as he takes all of them. He is Savior, and He is Lord. And if He's not both, He's neither. And that's why Jesus, over and over and over again, says, you better think about what you got. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, he says there will come a day when people that sit in churches just like here all across the country are going to stand before him at judgment day and they're going to wonder why he's not going to let them in to his heaven. And the bottom line will be Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 and following is they didn't know him. They just didn't know him. They knew who they thought they wanted to know, but they didn't know who he was by revelation. And they were told to go away, and they perished. If you claim to be a Christian, then your talk and your walk ought to match up. And he's not just someone who's hung on the cross for you, He's somebody that sits on a throne for you. He is Savior and He is Lord. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.